August 29, 2010, and this is your host, Stephen Novella. <laughs> Joining me this week are Bob Novella. Hello. Rebecca Watson. <laughs> Hello. Jay Novella. Hello. Stephen <laughs> Boonstein. Or not. <laughs> we wish. <laughs> Although, that kind of does lead us into our next interesting news which is our numbers. We finally managed to get Gold to give us some stats off the website. Turns out that we have approximately 700 people downloaded the last episode of the podcast. 0.7 of a K. So that was last month's stats. This month we haven't got you. Or we have a few stalkers who have downloaded us lots of times. (laughs) I thought it might be interesting, because I think it worked for for the Skeptics Guide, is to try and get more people to listen to the podcast and I thought a good goal would be maybe to double that by Christmas wow. okay so what do we have to do though <laughs> that's the best thing <laughs> to do anything if anyone that's listening tell all your friends about our podcast either that or download it again <laughs> <laughs> no don't do that don't do that really be nice to think that there are actual people rather than just multiple downloads True. Um, so, yeah, tell all your friends, get them to listen to the completely unnecessary sceptical podcast, and hopefully we can double our numbers, say 1,400. By Christmas. Next world domination. By 21st of December 2012. <laughs> <laughs> if it's the last thing we ever do. <laughs> yeah. So, Community Notice Board, we've had a request uh, from the new chair entity of the New Zealand Sceptics, Mr Gold. That's his whole name, just Gold. That's <laughs> um, his real name, apparently. You can ask him about it in person uh, next time you see him. Apparently when he's required to have a first name, it's Citizen. Uh-huh. Um, and he wants us to tell you about George Schramm. For those who don't know Geo, Geo is a musician and podcaster of some repute within the sceptical community. He is also a speaker at TAM Australia. Essentially, there's a campaign to get him to New Zealand. So if we can get everyone in the sceptical community to give a bit of money, there's an online donation page, uh, we can get him to come over and do some shows for us. And the address that they should go to is? www.givealittle.co.nz And if we search for Hrab, which is what I'm doing right now, then hopefully it's going to come back with the Bring Geo to New Zealand campaign. How much has been made already? Uh, according to the website, $350 has been pledged so far. So okay. another $1,650. Okay, so if every one of our listeners could give $2, ta-da, done, which I think is not a bad price to pay. And of course, uh, coming up, which is not necessarily new, but we want to promote it anyway, is Skeptics in the Pub. And Craig's come up with a really good idea this time, I think, and I think we should promote this and tell everyone about it. Craig, what what is it this month? Yes, well, this month, being uh, the month of September, we're calling it Skeptember. Skeptember, Skeptics in the Pub. And I think that maybe, as Skeptics, we could take on the idea that maybe September every year is Skeptember. We have Rocktober and Movember, why not Skeptember? And maybe we could organise some sceptical activities to promote ourselves. I think that's absolutely fantastic. And for those of you who aren't necessarily in New Zealand who may not mo- no, may not mo- Movember is when... People generally mostly, men, yes, mostly, <laughs> mostly men, grow moustaches to raise money for 
some good cause <laughs> of some sort. Is it prostate cancer? It is can- men's issues. Some sort of men's cancer issues, yeah, yeah. Men don't care, they just like the fact that they can grow a moustache for a month <laughs> and not have their wives tell them off. Skeptics in the Pub is coming up on the 21st of September. Auckland Skeptics in the Pub. And uh, there are others around the country. And this month we've actually got Ben Albert is going to give a talk on the placebo effect. Should be fantastic. Oh, that's going to be a good talk. And because you mentioned it, on the 24th and 25th of September is the annual Shaw City Magicians Club Magic Show, Shaw is Magic, which is happening at the Rose Theatre Belmont. I was so, there last year. I thought it was, was great. Well worth going. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a good show if you're in the Auckland area where you can afford a plane ticket. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> also, we did promise the Skeptics Conference was really awesome. Yay. <laughs> And uh, you've basically all missed it, except for those few that did actually come along. It was. It was good fun, actually. Well, there weren't 700 people there. No, they were obviously not. Mm. Um, next time, I assume everyone will be coming to the conference. And next year it's going to be in Christchurch? Christchurch, yes. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so the conference was really good, some good speakers, and can I just say, and I can, <laughs> that it was really, really, really well organised. It was. It was surprisingly well organised. I don't think you're allowed to say that. Somebody else has to say Shout out to the organisers. You did a fantastic... Shame we didn't get to walk across hot coals. So, we do a lot of news, and I don't think people are complaining about that, but I thought it'd be nice every now and then to have a bit of a topic as well. And we've actually had a couple of emails just this last week about this particular product. So we're going to have a bit of, spend a bit of time talking about it. It is the... Power balance, hologram, bracelet, etc. And I know you guys have been doing some research. Yes, well, um, this topic came up, I think, a few months ago. It was this bracelet that you could wear, uh, which supposedly improved your sports performance. According to the website, so it's, it's known as Power Balance, and if you actually go to um, powerbalance.com, it's been around since around 2007. Um, however, uh, a few months ago, um, it was featured on the current affairs program in Australia today, tonight, and uh, as a demonstration of its effectiveness, they they went through um, various tests in in uh, in inverted quotes, uh, which supposedly showed that this thing worked. That they uh, they had somebody trying to um, resist somebody pushing down on their arm, um, and were more successful in doing that with the with the power balance. On their on their wrist, and Richard Saunders from the Australian Skeptics um, did a bit of a, a debunking of that, and you can actually find that on 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 YouTube as a video of that. How much are they, Craig? There's a there's a New Zealand website, so powerbalance.co.nz. If you do go to that website, start on our web page and click on the link. So they know the referrer. The referrer is thecast.org.nz. Uh, because okay. I see there's a $15 donation going to ovarian cancer, so I just wondered how much they were. Well, the New, New Zealand price of them is $89, and for that you get this um, silicone wristband with this hologram image in it, and according to, uh, not according to the New Zealand website, because the New Zealand website actually doesn't give any detail about what the thing actually is claimed to do or how it works. And so they they seem to be carefully avoiding making any actual claims that could be bogus. I I think we um, should just give a little bit of information about about 
how many retailers are actually stocking this stuff in New Zealand. And some quite reputable it's retailers. It's quite shocking. But is it really, Susie? It's a retail product. People want to make money. The, the interesting thing is that they've actually got sponsorship of um, some teams. Um, so the apparently the New Zealand cricket team are wearing these bands on their wrists and uh, and supposedly improving their performance. Big supposedly. Hang on, we've got, we've got, on, we've got the New Zealand squash nationals as well are being sponsored by Power Balance. We've got um, their official, official sponsors of Bay of Plenty rugby and something else I can't read on their website. Steamers? Can't possibly be steamers. Don't know yes, what so, that is. so obviously the distributor of this product is actually based in the Bay of Plenty. So the Bay of Plenty steamers are sponsored by Power Balance, as well as um, the New Zealand Squash Nationals in, in Wakatani. What was that? Fakatani. Fakatani. Yeah. Well, who were the? Oh, okay. Oh, Bop steamers, right? God, I'm so. B O P Bay of Plenty. I apologise. I've only lived in New Zealand a year. I'll, I'll get there. I'll get there. I promise. Can we also just state that they have a fabulous warning on their website? So obviously we're very clear that they make no claims. Um, it's a wristband with a hologram on it. Uh, so, yeah, how that can affect your performance is debatable. Anyway, they have a wonderful warning on their website. I read, um, from time to time, counterfeit power balance products are offered for sale. It is unlawful for anyone to purchase or sell counterfeit power balance products. We are extremely vigilant in monitoring online auction websites and the marketplace and do not hesitate to take action against anyone found importing, offering for sale or selling counterfeit power balance products. Genuine products can be purchased here or from our authorised distributors list, which as I say, is vast. Do they offer any advice as to how to tell that it's a genuine product? For example, could you test it? <laughs> All they say is, if you are offered counterfeit products or know of anyone importing and selling such products, please contact us. So they don't actually say um, how to... How to perhaps, perhaps, perhaps the real ones have a little hologram on them. That, oh, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you buy the counterfeit and you don't improve, then you'll know. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's obviously a, a high-profit product. But really. there's loads of... So it's uh, basically gyms and bike shops, um, Sports ice shops, arenas. Yeah, as well uh, as your traditional health shops. Health, yes. And they come in small, medium and large. Well, I noticed that extra large is out of, uh, out of stock. Now, if you actually I don't know what that's Now, if you actually want to do some, some research into uh, how this thing is claimed to work, if you go to the Quack Watch site, um, they have a, a page dedicated to um, the Power Balance product. So I think we should I wish do more about this. What I'd like everyone to do is to go on our website and then obviously click on the link to the power balance. Um, go under retailers and then find the retailers in your area and phone them or write them a letter and just let them know that this is bollocks. Because there, there are tons, so if, if everyone starts writing... In fact, why, why don't we put a little um, template up on the website? That yes, could we could do something? But we could probably give some suggestions. Yeah. And we'll give some suggestions, and then please, everybody, write. Have you read this this testimony by Shaquille O'Neal? That night, while playing for the Phoenix Suns, there were about three of my teammates with the product on, and we won that game by 57 points. I kept feeling something when I wore the bracelet, so I kept wearing it. When I took it off, I went back to normal. Well, I've been wearing the bracelet ever since. Oh, you've convinced me. I'll buy one. <laughs> I'm here to tell you what, that's what he says. Yeah. 
Just before we move on to the next bit, do we actually need to explain here why these things don't actually work and what they what the mechanism is supposed to be? Well, is there a, is there a mechanism? So the mechanism, as I understand it, and this is just from other people's emails and reporting, is that the hologram vibrates. Okay, here we go. I've got some. I got some stuff. Okay, it's it's been embedded with naturally occurring frequencies found in nature that have been known to react positively with the body's energy field. This helps to promote balance, flexibility, strength, and overall wellness. La di la di da, Eastern medicine, they know best. La di la di da. Um, yeah. So if you want to vibrate, wear a hologram. There you go. And the reason we know that it doesn't work <clears throat> is. Thanks to Richard Saunders, mostly, who did a double-blind trial on, on the TV show you mentioned yep. earlier. The Today Tonight show in Australia. Yep, and during that trial, of course, the, um, the testing chappy from the company was unable to tell the difference between the people that had the card with the hologram on it and just a regular credit card in their back pocket. Because, of course, no one knew. Hmm. And the person that did know had stepped out of the room. Very good. Now you should conduct a Apparently there are some YouTube videos showing you what the salespeople do to show you that it works. So they essentially um, get you to, uh, they kind of push down on you or something, push down your arm, and then they put you get you to put the bracelet on and then they push down again and they show that, you know, you've got more resistance this time or whatever. Um, and apparently there are some clips showing people do this and that basically they push in different places when they do it. On one of the clips, in the first trial, the first test, the tester was pushing down a around about the wrist, the person's wrist, and in the second test he was pushing around about the elbow, which of course straight away yeah, you're gonna go, yeah. you get less leverage doing that. But it's without doing that, it's still really up to the person testing as to how much force they yeah. want. Have you ever had that done? Have you ever been to a hill? Oh, I've had that. Didn't convince you? Not at all. The next thing about the power balance was Craig, got an email. One of our valued listeners, Philip Muir, has um, apparently from what I take from the email, has been in correspondence with um, a organisation called the Ovarian Cancer Research Foundation in the States. And the reason he contacted them is because they have be made an alliance with the Power Balance um, company and uh, are selling their bracelets and getting a cut of the of the price of of the profits. Um, and so. Uh, Philip didn't think this was a very good look for a reputable medical or scientific organisation to be promoting these these products. Um, so it's pr pretty hard to tell from Philip's email as to as to where um, his particular email starts and stops, and where the email that he received from Stephen Barrett, who is the um, who is the doctor who runs the Quackwatch site begins and ends. Um, but it, it seems that Philip has done a fairly good job in trying to chase up um, the o OCRF people and then um, Stephen Barrett has, has taken on um, some communication with them, t telephoning uh, the OCRF people and, uh, and, and figure, trying to figure out what it is they're trying to do and, and maybe dissuading them from um, going down this dubious path. Yeah, yeah. so it looks like two uh, specially designed wrist bands for with that basically say ovarian cancer um, research fund on them um, and 50% of the proceeds go to this um, charity they also did a uh, an art auction um, to benefit 
apparently that was on the 11th of August, I can't find any more information about that, um, which was uh, 30 exclusive signed works of art depicting a selection of athletes created by a local California artist, Brian Bent, with all the proceeds from that going to the OCRF. So from the email, it sounds like they've been um, trying to talk to members of the um, scientific advisory uh, panel of this because this this is a serious charity that gives money to research and they have a an advisory panel they've basically awarded 33 million so US dollars to ovarian cancer research since 1998 and this is you know this is a serious organization was a serious organization yeah well they're, they're obviously trying to gain by association with a with a reputable yeah foundation. it's interesting that it says on the um, OCRF's uh, website that they were approached by the two founders whose mother had died of ovarian cancer so um, we make no comment about that only that they were approached by them anyway so there is a list of the people who are on their scientific advisory panel and I think that this is something that they should all be contacted about so um, I think this might form the basis of my first uh, blog for cyblogs will be a um, about this and perhaps getting some people to contact Contact them now. There's a there's a, a New Zealand link to this as well. In that, if you go and look at the news on the Power Balance New Zealand site, it says that Power Balance sponsors Les Mills Beat Camp. Now, Les Mills, for those who don't know, is a is a gym in New Zealand, and according to the the news release, which is extremely short, it says Power Balance is pleased to sponsor the Les Mills led initiative called Beat Camp. The aim of the Beat Camp is to raise money for the Heart Foundation. Oh, so it's not like a camp where kids, naughty kids, go and get thrashed. No. That would be awesome. We've again got Power Balance trying to gain some credibility by associating with somebody who's promoting or raising money for the Heart Foundation. They've got one hell of a PR person. Indeed. Interesting tactic. Now, Susie, do you want to try out your new segment? Um, Susie <laughs> rants about the Ponsonby News. <laughs> and I only think this is important because maybe we didn't state um, when I was ranting last week or last month or possibly the month before that, that the Ponsonby News, this vast um, publication that annoys me every month, has got 16,987 copies distributed around... Ponsonby, Freeman's Bay, blah blah blah. That's more more than the downloads for our podcast. Exactly. So maybe we could advertise <laughs> yeah. the Ponsonby News. Well, maybe we could do a deal with the Ponsonby News, a contra advertising. See, we're promoting them on our podcast. They could promote, they could promote us. Them. I think promoting maybe a little bit, <laughs> a little bit generous, but okay. So I guess I just want to uh, use the opportunity to just say what have annoyed me this month. And there's only there's only three things that have annoyed me this month. Um, and we won't really talk about them other than our my favourite what did we call him last time health correspondent in as many brackets as you want oh. um, anyway he's had a few thoughts about vitamin C this time so this is the basically that people uh, will be really much better if you have high dose IV infusions of vitamin C and he has this um, quite quite often it sounds like um, and he's very well and so yeah everyone needs to do that and this was in the news quite recently it was because on 60 minutes yes. on tv3 last week i believe it was there was a story about um, a guy who was dying yeah from some this isn't the guy we were talking about last time is it no 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 so the ones last last time were about cancer melanie reed did a I think it was Melanie Reed did a story on 
60 minutes about this guy who was dying and and the the family insisted that he got these he got high, high dose, dose vitamin C. Oh, is that the one that they were going to take? Yes. 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 No, no, we'll do, yeah, that's yeah. right, I saw that. But what was interesting, yeah, well, he, he survived. He survived. Of course he survived. They gave him high dose vitamin yeah. C. But there was no explanation in the story as to why the family was so insistent. One of the reasons he got treatment was because they basically, the family brought in a lawyer. And the lawyer kind of, you know, they were they were going to do something hideous to the hospital, I guess. Were the hospital trying to stop him or saying that it wasn't? No, this man was dying. Um, he was on life support. I think that it sounds like the... Um, he had swine flu, that's Yeah, right. he's had, he swine had swine flu. flu. So he had pneumonia from swine flu. Um, and he was dying, and I think the, the doctors must have wanted to turn off his life support. Anyway, the family um, have read about this amazing miracle cure of intravenous vitamin C um, infusions, and so they obviously tried to get the doctor to do it, and the doctor said no, and so they got this lawyer um, involved who who then, they, they got it done. And... I say unfortunately, but obviously it's it's not unfortunate that he survived, but he did survive, and so now this has become the, oh my God, why don't we give everybody who's dying in hospital high-dose vitamin C? Um, now, just stop me if I'm wrong here, but high vi- doses of vitamin C can be dangerous as well. Hmm. There is a limit to how much you can have before it becomes a problem. I haven't done enough reading on this to know what that well, is. Well, vitamin C is water-soluble, not fat-soluble, so you can over-saturate yourself with it. Yeah, but you will get diarrhoea. There's been some interesting research quite recently about why it might be beneficial to cancer patients. But this man did not have cancer, this man had pneumonia. And so the thought that this is going to actually be able to kill swine flu is sort of, is dubious at best. And what's, people people make miraculous recoveries, that's kind of what happens. The interesting thing was that they didn't just... No. give him this high dose of vitamin C they, there were some other things they did in conjunction with this like they, they changed his position on the bed and so on and, and caused the and which and so who knows what the cause was but I think it's a dangerous path to go down that um, that people can bring in the lawyers and, and say well you must do this yeah. and well you have no medical training but we want you to do this and, and I guess from a human aspect say well if this guy is going to die and then what's the harm in trying this but but even so, it seems like a, well, a slippery slope. Well, of course, the harm is now where people are going to think that it works, and now they're not going to want. And they're going to maybe do this instead of other they're things. They're going to be yeah. wanting, yeah. And I think what was bad about the coverage of this in the media was that they didn't. They they basically they got the lawyer to comment on on this effective treatment, not the medical establishment, and um, so that was just bad, bad. Anyway, okay, so and surprise, so I've, so my favourite person starts talking about vitamin C and how great it is, and there you go, la la la. Um, the other two bits and pieces in the Fonspin News this month are a day of transformation with Caroline Miss Mice Miss. Miss Mice, which unfortunately we missed. It was yesterday at the Langham for one hundred and ninety-five dollars, and you can find out uh, exploring the power of your graces, healing beyond the bounds of reason. Um, <laughs> that says it all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what I meant to look up, but I didn't. Um, I'm going to have to do this. Is that so? There's a um, uh, somebody called Joan. Um, 
Borensko says that Caroline Miss Weiss, whoever, is the most outstanding voice in the field of spirituality and healing alive on the planet today. Anyway, I only say this because it's Joan, or whatever, PhD, author of Minding the Body, Mending the Mind, and It's Not the End of the World. So I just want to find out where she got her PhD from. Just, I'm and just what dubious. It's in. Yeah. Um, anyway, so. This woman has apparently helped millions of people to understand illness, trauma, and life crises, and to find the potential to heal themselves. La di la di la. So I wonder how many people there were at the Langham yesterday for one hundred ninety-five dollars. Um, that would be interesting to know. And the last. Well, thing... there wouldn't have had to have been too many for her to make a, a reasonable amount of money, anyway. And then the last thing is a little, um, a little article on chi acupuncture. Is there any difference between chi acupuncture and acupuncture? I don't know. Acupuncture is supposed to work on the energy fields that flow through the body, which I assume yeah, is but what's chi. In Tai Chi, Tai is the body flow. Well, anyway, so this is chi acupuncture, treating both the symptoms and the cause, and it's just an an advert for Ingrid, who's a chi acupuncturist, and talks about. Uh, talks about the usual, you know, it's the careful placement of a few needles on key meridians that produce the most positive results. La di la di la di. So yeah, no, that's that. Not. Which Fair. I think is <laughs> so. Actually, for the Ponsonby news, only three items that really got my goat this month. Shame on you, Ponsonby news. They disappointed you. <laughs> it's not actually. That's not a silly suggestion. You could send them an email and say how pleased you were. I was pleasantly surprised to see you only had three. Okay, and we have a few news items. Not quite so much as normal, of course, because we uh, haven't had as big a gap between the episodes this time. Everybody would be very pleased to hear that the No God billboards have been deemed not offensive. Did I say that the right way around? Yeah, that's right. Um, by the Advertising Standards Authority. So they didn't breach advertising rules. Um, the ASA received one complaint. From, they actually named the guy. A Renault. A Renault. A car? A uh, Renault. Um, <laughs> who complained that the adverts were offensive and made a mockery of the Christian faith. No, the Christian faith does that itself. Well, I don't think there's a big surprise here that this no, was no. the well, outcome. I think quite surprised there was only one. Yeah, it's fantastic. One in contrast with the Christian Party um, ad, There Definitely Is a God, which received 1,204 complaints in the, um, UK. in the UK, which put it in the top 10, in fact, number one of the top 10 complained about ads in 2009. Um, that same year, the they're probably, There's Probably No God UK, um, ads got 392 complaints. So we're doing quite well. Doing very well. People being tolerant and not dicks. And we've got an interview with Simon coming up. Simon from the New Zealand bus. ATS bus campaign. Yes, Simon Fisher, who talked at the conference. So the ASA says um, it's okay to put the no god ads on. They don't breach any rules. That's fantastic. What may breach some rules and certainly will be considered <laughs> offensive by a large number oh, of Christians. It's fabulous. Our favourite, favourite story at the moment. The religion is garbage posters. This is absolutely fantastic. So there are basically four different posters have appeared in various uh, locations around Auckland. They've been put together by an advertising agency called Muckmouth, which I can find no information about. Their website is astonishingly blank. It's got some photos of people and that's about it. Well, if we can find out, we'll let you know because everyone should be using these guys <laughs> for their advertising <laughs> So they've purposes. created uh, a rather... Um, blasphemous, according to some, campaign for um, Esh Streetwear. So they have four, as I said, four ads. So they look like, um, for anybody who may might remember these, the Garbage Pale Kids um, cards. So they start at the top and say, religion is garbage. And then 
So the first one is TikTok Muhammad. <laughs> Hilarious. Then uh, the fantastic brainwashing Brian, which I guess we all know who that is. Pedo Pope and Holy Christ. They are very funny. Hol- Holy Christ. Hol- yeah. If you want to see the actual images, one of the best places to go is um, adsoftheworld.com. And if you, um, we'll put a link up as well. Yeah, we will do. But they have all the um, all the images there, and um, they yes, are they very are quite, funny, quite good. They're Absolutely really nicely done. Yes. So really basically, good. this this um, Ash Streetwear's got skateboards, t-shirts. I'm thinking we're going to be getting a whole load of brainwashing Brian t-shirts. <laughs> There's been a lot of talk on ads of the world forum about this the comment section comment section yeah most people thinking it's quite funny um a few people getting up in their up in their high horse about it and one guy who said he thought the the pictures were really lame and the the font was awful (laughs) obviously obviously (laughs) never seen the um the garbage pail kids because it's exactly it's just a yeah a direct What's the word I'm looking for? Not, not rip off, homage. It's quite hilarious because there's obviously a lot of people taking it quite seriously. And, you know, this is this is a very effective advertising cam- campaign. Of course, it's trying to sell this this brand and they're getting huge amounts of publicity for it. Um, so, you know, it is highly cynical. They've done a fantastic job. Very nice, but they're very funny. The pictures are great. Was there any other news items that we needed to cover? Uh, so... Susie's psychic. <laughs> Susie's psychic. We're going to call you psychic Susie psychic from Susie. now on. This can be your segment. Stuff Susie's predicted that comes up in the news. Um, new microbe discovered eating oil spill in the Gulf. There you go. Didn't I say that bacteria would would evolve to be um to to find this new nutrient in the Gulf of Mexico? So scientists have discovered a new microbe while studying the underwater dispersion of million ga- millions of gallons of oil. Or maybe this is just uh, proof that uh, evolutionary theory makes good prediction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so basically they found a new microbe that uh, can 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 chomp on on um, noms oil on oil. And I, I guess they'll be analysing the genome of this bacteria to see how it came to uh, evolve this ability. There are bugs that degrade jet fuel. There are bugs that, you know, this this is what they do. If Diesel bugs. I saw an article about that yeah, a few years ago. Yeah, it's basically if it's a source of nutrients, they, they, they're really good at this. I mean, I guess this is a this is basically something can, that can live in cold water. Um, so, you know, this may well be something new, but yeah. So my question is, okay. do they have plans to somehow mass produce this bacteria? And put more of it in the area where they need to clean up the oil. Then I guess they must be thinking about that. Someone will be thinking about that. Um, I guess you just if you can if you can isolate it and find how it, you know, grow it in the lab and then presumably dump it back in the water. And also, of course, having stocks of it somewhere. Mm, Then you could then just um, put it. Whenever there's an oil spill, just dump a bit of the stuff in. I guess the thing that's interesting about this one is that it manages to do this job without depleting oxygen in the water. And basically, had it depleted the oxygen in the water, then that would have created dead zones where nothing else can kind of live. Um, And what was interesting about this organism is that it chomps on the oil but doesn't create this dead zone. So that is interesting because it does need to bind stuff with oxygen to produce energy. Isn't that how it basically works? I don't know. I'm going to have to go and do some reading on this one. It looks quite interesting. I can't find anything about whether it's been published or anything. All we've found is something on Associated Press, so we need to go and have a look at it. 
or it's been, it's been reported on Science Express. Well, maybe we'll so, do a follow-up yeah, next month if there's still stuff uh, yeah. happening. It's like Susie Strikes. <laughs> so, success rate so far of 100%. <laughs> What's your next prediction, Susie? My next prediction is that helium's going to run out. I, I don't think that <laughs> Oh, counts, no, that wasn't my prediction, somehow. was it? So tell Sorry. us about that. No, you need to make it more less specific. Like there'll be some some gas that's going to be in shortage in the next few years. Okay. And no doubt someone's going to go back through all our past episodes as well <laughs> and just write down all of the predictions you've made. Um, so there was a profile of uh, Robert Richardson um, in New Scientist a few weeks ago, and so he won a Nobel Prize in 1996 for his work on um, superfluidity and helium, and he's a prof at Cornell. Uh, in New York and um, what was really interesting about this little one minute interview with him is basically finding out that helium is running out and this is quite serious it is quite serious because not only will we not have any helium balloons for birthday parties but actually helium is really important for loads of stuff so basically cryogenics MRI machines uh, what else do they mention Help me out here, Craig. Well, I, I'd heard that um, NASA uses it for um, cleaning engines. Yeah, there's loads of stuff. But the problem is that it, it's the, the cost of it is, dedi- is dictated by um, an act that the US government has that says that they have to sell off their reserves or that they have to sell off the land uh, that the helium reserve is under by 2015. And so therefore the, the price is dictated by that. So basically what happened was in 1925 the US government established the National Helium Reserve and it's basically a billion cubic meters stored uh, near Texas. And what we what we really have to get to the bottom of is why in 1996 Congress passed an act requiring that this reserve um, which represents half of the Earth's helium stocks Fuck. has to be sold off by 2015. I mean this is just so his his argument clearly is that you know because they're flooding the market, um, helium's too cheap, and so it's not being treated treated as the precious resource that it is. And it and it can't be manufactured. Yes, yeah, so that's a really important thing to say. It cannot be manufactured. It's well, used for loads of really important things. You can manufacture it if you have a sun. But not by us. Can't in our, no, our no, no. manufactured yeah. in our present technology. But basically, loads of companies just have have had no no incentive to be looking after the helium. Yeah, so. Uh, this is really scary and what he says is basically we need to do something about this and we need to let the free market decide how much helium should cost and if that means a helium balloon is a hundred dollars then that's then so be it but why the hell is the US government selling off all the helium by what what's that all about anybody know let us know really really interesting you know what you can manufacture though which you could use in kids party balloons instead is hydrogen Right. So we're okay for kids' parties. <laughs> Got that sorted. <laughs> it'd be I'm good. just saying. It'd be good near the birthday cakes where they're yes, going to blow out the home. candles. <laughs> Have a puff on hydrogen and then blow out the candles. <laughs> that would be cool. <laughs> Craig, you wanted to talk about the cancer cap. Well, we just wanted to give a brief bouquet to the reporting on uh, Campbell Live uh, one night this week. Uh, they had an article about... Um, a cryogenic cap that uh, cancer sufferers can wear when they're having chemotherapy, which supposedly is able to um, prevent hair loss. Um, 
and so the, the article was quite good and it was quite balanced in that they they had the usual testimonials from the people who it had helped but also they had the the other side of it from a from the oncologist at the hospital so explaining why they couldn't necessarily recommend its use but also explaining why she was had some concerns yeah, that indeed. it might be dangerous yeah yeah, so um, it was it so was it was really reasonably good. well balanced, mm. and um, and that it, pr- it gave enough time for the for the medical yeah they didn't opinion. cut her short at all yeah okay well done TV three hmm. so we're going to play two interviews this week assuming I can get them both working first interview is with Simon Fisher who is the mastermind behind the New Zealand No God bus ads. And we're here at the New Zealand Skeptics Conference 2010, and we're talking with Simon Fisher. And Hi guys. Simon Fisher, why are you here? I'm here to talk about the atheist bus campaign. Or the lack of bus. The atheist lack of bus. <laughs> yeah, the atheist billboard campaign, I should say. I've been one of the organisers, and I've been the spokesperson. But yeah, there's a small team of us that's brought this together, and yeah, it's been really good. Yes, it has actually, and I have to say, I've, I've, I consider myself part of that small team, although I haven't had much input. I have been part of the mailing list, and I have contrib- uh, thrown out a few ideas from time to time. Uh, so it's been quite interesting to watch that progression as it's evolved, and and come to, come to almost to fruition. So, give us a bit of a background. Um, let's assume everyone knows about the atheist bus campaigns, and they can look that up. Um, how did the New Zealand one get started? Well, back in um, January '09, right at the start of the year, there was a few comments about the possibility of bringing the UK campaign to New Zealand on the NZ Skeptics mailing list. And around that same time as well, I got in contact with the Humanist Society, based in Wellington, and I basically said, you know, is anyone doing this at the moment? Are we, is anyone working on bringing it here? I'm keen to be involved. And yeah, we got together for some coffee meetings, and slowly over the year of 2009, we, you know, it took a while, but we gradually got ourselves organised and tried to get buses out there um, around Decemb- early December. So you raised twenty thousand, uh, twenty thousand dollars, more or less, straight yep. away. We raised twenty thousand in five days. And you were you were expecting what ten? Yeah, we originally just went for ten, you know, keep it realistic. But that the first donation target got. Um, beaten in less than 36 hours, I think. So we decided to set a more realistic one. Do you know how many donors you had? Um, not exactly. I think there was around um, seven or 800. So you had some problems getting the ads on buses, obviously. Yeah, just as we were about to launch, well, about to sort out the fine details, NZ Bus got back to us and said, no, we're not going to run the ads. And they didn't really give us good reasons, but they talked about the ads as being divisive and controversial and talked about possible risks to their property and their drivers. So they basically denied us um, to run the ads. And from there, we launched a complaint with the Human Rights Commission as a possible discrimination charge against NZ Bus. And how's that working out? It's a slow process, that's for sure. Um, It's been five months now since we launched that, and it's still ongoing. Basically, the first step of that process is to get legal representation from the Office of the Human Rights Proceedings, and after that, we're going to hopefully start a legal case against them. And in the meantime, you've been running some billboard ads instead. Yeah, we decided that the whole process with NZ Bus was just taking far too long and people were contacting us and saying hey guys what's up you know what, what's happening with this yeah where's the ads so we decided to give people what they wanted 
um, some atheist advertising. And billboards were really the next logical choice because they were big, you know, out there in public. And so we decided to spend half the money on billboards in Auckland, Wellington and Christchurch. And they're up at the moment, I'm sure many of your listeners have seen them. So can you give us roughly the locations, just in case people want to go out and have a look? You've got Christchurch, Wellington and Auckland. Um, I'm not too familiar with the Christchurch and Auckland locations, but the Wellington ones, there's one on um, Bullcott Street, there's one on Willis Street, and there's one near the end of Manor's Mall. But the billboards are changing all the time. We got a good deal with the billboard company Roadside, but that also means that if uh, another customer wants to use that site, our billboard will get replaced temporarily, so they might be up and down. So how many have you got in each city? Three in each city. And how long are we hoping they're going to be up for? Um, hopefully as long as they can, basically. Um, it's a bit fluid with our arrangement with Roadside, the billboard company, but yeah. We're going to leave them there for a few months. And then the great thing about billboards is that we could just take them down and put them in another location. So if you donate now on the website, nogod.org.nz, you can actually um, tell us which city you would like to see billboards in. So it's a great way to get billboards in your own city. So you are going to put them in as many different places as you can? Yeah, well, I mean... Billboards don't wear out very easily, so we can just keep moving them around, and it doesn't cost much to move a billboard. And you didn't have any sort of resistance from the billboard people? Well, no, the billboard people are fine, basically, because they don't really care what they advertise, as long as it's within advertising standards. But the problem is, individual site owners might have a problem. Um, For example, we had one issue with the Port of Wellington. The CEO of the port did not want our billboards on the port property, so we actually had to change to a different site. But that's easy to work around. So you've got three slogans for the billboard. Now these are different slogans to what you were going to put on the on the buses. Yes, we decided that the um, there's probably no God. Now stop worrying and enjoy your life. Slogan had already been out there in the public eye for six months at this stage, and it had already built up enough recognition. So it gave us a great opportunity to expand the campaign and explore some different ideas of atheism and free thinking and rationalism etc. So through the help of the New Zealand public and I'm sure some people from around the world, we got people to submit possible ideas for new slogans and we ended up with over 900 possible slogans that we really wanted to get down to about three. So you had a, a billboard generator on the website, Yep. people submitted ideas and then you had a vote yeah, in the group, we basically got all the ideas, um, weeded out the obvious unsuitable ones. Tell us one of the unsuitable ones. God is a dick, or, <laughs> you know, just 15-year-olds <laughs> having a laugh. And some of the submissions were, of course, by religious people saying oh, the sure. exact opposite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it was a fairly obvious choice. By the time I'd got to the, to the thing to have a look at the options and had a vote myself, I think it was already pretty clear which were the top three or four. Yeah, there was, it was quite a clear consensus, I think, um, certainly for the top. Yeah, the three or four, like you said. Maybe even six. It was obvious which ones were going to be the ones to be chosen. And those three are? Um, first one is Good Without God, over one million Kiwis are. Another one is In the Beginning, Man Created God. And the third one is We Are All Atheists About Most Gods. Some of us just go one God further. And that's probably the longest one. It's also the most complex. I think on a news piece they did on uh, Good Morning, I think, the TV One show is. And uh, one of the reporters went out and asked people in Christchurch what the what the slogan means. And I'm not sure how many people she asked and how many people she showed, but all the people she showed were um, people that did not understand the slogan, and they were like, "What?" <laughs> um, but so that's they just okay. Didn't get it I mean, at all. well, I'm sure some people got it, and she just didn't show that on TV. But um, 
I think it's, it is one of those slogans that requires a bit of thought. And if you got if confronted with it on the street by a journalist, you might be a bit taken back. You might be like, not what? prepared yeah. for the question. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And of course, that is more or less the point, isn't it? Yeah, it's good if we have these slogans that get people to think. So if we have a bit of a complex slogan, I mean, that's fine. The, other, the others are relatively simple. So you've been the sort of media spokesman for this yep. spokes entity. Um, so how, how have the media, have you been received? Mostly positively. I mean, the media, the media interested in stories like this that have an element of controversy and um, you know, two sides that are quite polarised. So it's been quite easy to sell it to the media. Um, but I mean, on the shows that allow more discussion from the hosts, such as um, Good Morning, where Paul Henry sort of dug into us a bit um, during the recent um, media wave where we launched the billboards. I think he called us um, lunchtime celebrities or something like that, <laughs> which is fair enough. I mean, from his point Coming of view. Coming from a breakfast show host, I'm not sure that's much of an insult. And it's Paul Henry. You've got to expect that stuff. I um, mean, that's fine. I can understand how he wouldn't maybe fully grasp the. Um, reasons why we're doing this campaign and you know he's got to have his own for people with no vested interest it certainly probably does seem a bit baffling yeah, yeah. why the hell would you bother yeah. telling everyone that you're an atheist I mean isn't that kind of defeat the purpose of being an atheist yeah and I mean the main reason has always been to get people to think and to get this these sorts of topics out there in the New Zealand public further and at the end of the day it is not meant to be these slogans are not meant to be like you know grand sweeping statements about how to live your life or anything like that, they are um, ultimately meant to be a bit of fun and just to get people to think about these sort of more philosophical topics. Yeah, and I, I, I don't want to call it a contradiction, but you did almost trip yourself up when you were talking. So on one hand, you said you'd, the slogans are out there designed to get people to think, and then on the other hand, you criticised some local religious bloggers for over-analysing the billboards. Um, now that's probably not a, a, tr a proper contradiction per oh, it's se, a, I think it's a very valid point <laughs> and I mean yeah and when you're doing stuff like this I think it's very easy to <laughs> um, contradict yourself but I guess the point is what I was saying there is that those bloggers were they were going far too far in analyzing the actual textual content of the statements themselves yeah. as opposed to thinking of just the, the sort of more simple yeah, yeah. concept meaning behind the statement. All right. Well, thank you very much, Simon. It's been uh, awesome listening to you. Thank, thank you, you for coming along to the Completely Unnecessary Skeptical Podcast. Thank you. This program is brought to you by Pop Hayden's Amazing Miracle Oil, available on our website at pophayden.com. And now we've got a short interview with our new sponsor, Pop Hayden, manufacturer of Pop Hayden's Miracle Oil. And I'm here now at again at the uh, Magic Convention in New Zealand with our new sponsor, Pop Hayden. Pop, welcome to the country. It's a pleasure to be here. I've really enjoyed myself. And uh, you, of course, are selling your miracle oil, and uh, we're proud to accept your large sums of money to oh, fund our podcast. We're very happy with the sales we've had of the amazing miracle oil. And, you know, we feel like we, we, we're gaining a customer a minute. <laughs> and, of course... Um, as I probably gave away by mentioning the Magic Convention, you are not, in fact, a Seiko oil salesman. Uh, by well, trade, no, legitimately, I, well, uh, yes, I am. Exactly, yeah, I do. We actually sell oil. We sell it on, on online on oh, our, okay. the website parpaden.com. So, essentially, what is it? You, it it's obviously it's a, it's a gimmick. It's a 
um, uh, what do you call it? It's a, Avocation. a fun little um, giveaway. No, we sell the oil. That's the whole point of the show. We're selling the oil. Oh, you know, medicine show the tickets are just about free, but we get to advertise and sell our product. We have ladies go through the um, four times during our medicine show. We have ladies going through the audience with cigarette trays selling the medicine and our various other products. And we actually sell these uh, two-ounce bottles of, of baby oil for about eight bucks a, a piece. <laughs> we sell lots of them. Okay. <laughs> and, and that's legal? You get away with that? Yeah. Why wouldn't it be legal? It's 100% pure baby oil. Sure, sure. I can. No chem and, and we don't make any claims. It's not a cure-all. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's a treat-all. Yeah. It can be used to treat just about any disease in existence. Treat, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're obviously familiar with the skeptical movement. You know people like James Randi. Well, and, um, mm-hmm. and, of course, I interviewed Paul Daniels, and he's had a bit, of, a bit to do with that as well. Would you consider yourself a skeptic? Do you see what you're doing as a parody? You're recreating something that that people would have done in the past. Is that the sort of nature of your act? Well, no, it's what they're still doing today in homeopathy and, and, yeah. and various other you know, types of, of medical sales and, and quackery. Uh, people don't realize that the, 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 the guys that were the big quacks, the Kellogg's and other people from the turn of the century, you know, they would do just as well today with their magnet belts and crystal healing and you know, oil, electrical oils and all of that. Yeah. We, 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 in fact, most of the uh, most of the comedy in my act and the pitches that we do, we have basically let people know what it is. We do a theatrical show in theaters with uh, variety acts, uh, a live band that does um, saloon music from the 1890s, and we have a we have a tuba and a banjo and a fiddle and a piano. And Professor Bourne is our uh, chief musician. I do the magic, and we, we uh, sell the pitch the medicine. So you the whole truth. Oh, that's and cool. the whole pitch is based on the kind of pitches they, they not only did back then, word for word, some of them, yeah. but also on um, pitches they do today on television. You know, head on, never says it does anything. We, I don't know if you have that here, but it's a little kind of chapstick that uh, if you, it says if you have a headache, put some on your forehead. Yeah. They don't say it does stop. anything. Yeah. It doesn't say it'll do anything. It just says do it. And the people buy that and they swear by it. It's all a placebo. <laughs> placebo effect. Um, homeopathy, we, one of the lines in my show is that this is safer than homeopathy because nothing gets safer than something doesn't have any ingredients. Is part of what you're trying to do raising a, awareness of that sort of nature of thing or is it more just a fun thing that you do? Well it's both. I mean we have a huge amount of fun doing it. I think it's a hoot. The cleverness of the, um, of the ads, the, even the ones you see today on TV and the cleverness of the approaches that the pitchmen use is what interests me and makes me smile inside. And um, I, you know, if you listen to the speeches in which I pitch these products, you will hear lines straight out of a modern TV commercial hmm. that, that made as much sense back then as they do now. Nothing more effective. <laughs> Those are our, our type, the type of lines that we like to use. I was in your lecture this morning, and um, I was quite interested in some of the things you were talking about, the con game. My interest well. is mostly in the, the, the get-rich uh, times of the, the gold rush. In, in Alaska. The con men of that period were very interesting. They had a huge impact on this country. And TV is just a copy of the medicine show. The idea is to give a free entertainment and then pitch a product. And so TV is basically 
an outgrowth of the Madison show. That was the paradigm for the whole thing. And if TV used to be free, and then they would sell you a product. That's how they paid for the, the free entertainment. Now, in the 21st century, I think it's even better, because now they charge you for the entertainment and still try and sell you a product. And that's more of the model we're going on for our medicine show. In all of the times you've been doing this, have you had any run-ins with any believers? People who come and say, how dare you say that about homeopathy? Or oh, yeah, sometimes you get that. I love to talk to them, you know. I love to talk about things like homeopathy, you know. If people know the, the truth, it, it'll set them free from like that. But people swear by it, and there are hard-nosed people that can't. Well, in the, in the, in the, the con game business, we call it, there are suckers that can't be knocked. You can't get them to disbelieve the con. Even against the evidence that they've lost all their money and they're dying, they will still swear by the you know, faith healer that was treating them or the, the potion that they were taking. You know, um, I've heard so many people, even after you explain that there's nothing in the product, it's just wax on that head on, they still go, but it really worked. And because of the placebo effect. Yep. You know, and people, people, once they decide something, they don't want to feel foolish, and so they will fight to, uh, to, to keep the truth of, of that without feeling foolish. To me, it's one of the mission statements of magic. I think, for example, um, when, when Doug Henning was doing the, the magic show on Broadway, Eric Severide, a, a television uh, commentator of, of the early 70s and 60s, came on TV and said, I saw this show on, on um, Broadway the other night. Um, with young Doug Henning. He made ladies disappear and float in the air and he cut them in half. And I have no idea how he did any of that. It was really wonderful and amazing. But it reminded me of something my father told me when I was very young. He said there are only two kinds of people in the world. There's uh, people that can be had and there's suckers. And the only difference between those two groups is that a sucker will bet you 50 bucks he can't be had. <laughs> well, to me, I think that's the reason these magicians walk around among us, to remind us that we can all be had so we don't become suckers. I have heard a lot of magicians who give a false history to me of magic. They talk about magic as it, we're the descendants of the shamans and priests and, and the religious uh, people that use trickery and deceit the quacks, you know, the fake mm. doctors, in order to uh, control people's. Mm. I never think, I don't consider myself the descendant of them at all. They're the people that the street magicians, back in ancient Greece, made fun of. Mm. You know, they, they, the street magicians, the guy that did the cups and balls, were using the same words and stuff as a burlesque. Seneca said, when I see a, uh, one of these uh, Dyson Cup people performing on the streets doing these wonderful magic tricks, I. You know, I love it. It, I, it excites me. I find it's very fascinating. But whenever I learn how a trick is done, I lose all interest in it. Well, that's a very modern approach. I think that if, if that was in 100 AD, and, uh, and in Greek we get the same kind of people, the same reaction, to them magic was a burlesque of, of, of the, the, the street swindlers, the, the medicine potion sellers and the priests. They used the same kind of fake they well, use kind of fake Latin sometimes to later in the Middle Ages to, to uh, burlesque the priest and the mass and stuff like that. So I think that the magicians, the real performers, were always, for the most part, different from the charlatans. They were burlesque of the charlatan and intended to be a burlesque of the charlatans. And the magician is the one that, that tries to bring down the real charlatans. There's the theater of the impossible. The theater of the impossible is whenever we involve anything that's 
uh, fantasy and the impossible, fairies, Peter Pan, uh, Harry Potter, all that. And they don't try to prove that the magic is real. If they use a magic trick, it's just as a, as a special effect. If you chop a head off on a guillotine on stage during Tale of Two Cities and it's too realistic, people will come right out of the story and go, what the heck, what was that all about? How'd they do that? And they're taken ripped right out of the story. It ruins the play. Same thing if they, Peter Pan would fly like David Copperfield, People go, what the heck, how do they do that? And they would no longer be interested in the story of the darlings. In theater, magic is sub sublimated to the needs of the story. In magic, it's entirely different. The magician claims that what he's doing is real, and he tries to prove it, but he makes the claim with a tongue in his cheek, with a wink and a smile. Yeah. He doesn't want you to really believe it's real. He wants you to think there's no such thing as, as, as levitation. There's no such thing as cutting the person in two and putting them back together. But here you've seen evidence and it looks so real, you're, you're forced to kind of believe in it against your will. Yeah. Again, there's no suspension of disbelief. Disbelieve all you want. We're going to prove you that we can <laughs> Show do you this. that we can do it. And then we wink at you like, cool, huh? And we're telling them it's not real. So now the person has those two thoughts in his head. He's up on the horns of a dilemma. And that's the entertainment part. That's the magic. The dilemma is the message. It's what keeps you thinking about the trick. It's what forces you into creative thought. How could he possibly have done it? Every time the subject magic comes up, you go, oh, wait, I saw a magician once, and he did this. And if somebody says, well, do you think it was real magic? Go, no, I don't think it was real magic, but how could he have done it? But a charlatan, he does the same thing as a magician, but there's no wink. He makes his claim seriously, and he intends for you to believe it. Could be just for entertainment, but most likely it's to take advantage of you. Where do you think the line is crossed? I know there is, tends to be a bit of a debate, or there can be a bit of a debate, uh, particularly with mentalism. Some people who are getting up and are presenting themselves just a little bit too much as being real. Do you think there is a line in magic? To me, it's not magic if there's no way. <coughs> sure. And now it is, it is a kind of charlotte to me. You know, and to me, the whole point, if, if they only do it for entertainment and they're not giving advice, and not okay. selling, yep. you know, horoscopes and stuff like that. Not offering to help the police. <laughs> not yeah. getting involved in in people's lives. You know, so to me, um, the, the worst are the ones that are trying to bring back the dead. You yeah. know, and because because you're messing with stuff you don't know. Your dad is happy now. Hmm. He's in heaven, hmm. and you know it's wonderful. Everything's good. But he well, he he raped me when I was three. Hmm. Now. Why would you want to get into any of that stuff with somebody and deal with stuff that you don't know anything about? You're treading on people's very, very most innermost secrets and stuff. And I think it's despicable to start messing with people on that kind of level. Talking about crossing the line and ethics and that sort of thing, and I just recalled uh, an anecdote you gave us this morning in the lecture about when you were younger, working in New York in the winter. In the winter, of course, you can't do your sleight of hand, and you were telling us about the ESP... Survey. survey. Can you tell us how that works? And then I'll well, so it's, it's not really a scam. Okay, it's kind, it is. It's kind of scam-like. Okay. It's kind of scam-like. Um, when it's too cold, when I, I worked on the street corners in New York in the 60s, late 60s and early 70s, doing three-card money and a shell game, but also doing magic and, uh, you know, passing the hat. And I actually made more money off the magic than the three-card monitor of the shell game because I didn't know the real way they worked. I knew the sleight of hand from the magic books, but I didn't know how to operate the shells and do all the stuff that made you real money. So I actually made more money doing magic and passing the hat. Had I known how to use the shells at that time, I probably would have. You'd think you would have gone the other way and ended up... 
I could have. I don't know. Who, who knows? You yeah. know, I don't like to cheat people. I don't like to take advantage of people. That was when I was doing the show game three card money. I I felt it was just fun, and I was learning and trying to figure out the sleight of hand and how to draw a crowd and all that stuff. But the main thing was that when it gets cold, you can't do any of that stuff. Your fingers are too cold, and people don't want to stand there and watch. So I had to make a, a way to make a living even then. And I had a, a scam where I could stand on the street corner with a pack of, uh, of, of blank uh, business cards and a pencil. And as people walked by, by, I'd say, do you believe in ESP? And at whatever they said, I'd make a little note on the paper. Do you believe in ESP? Make a little note. Eventually, somebody would get hooked, somebody that was interested in ESP, which is who I'm looking for. And that person stops and says, what are you doing? So I'm doing experiments in extrasensory perception. And I'd write a, a, something on a card and hold it up right in front of them and say, name a three-digit number. And they would name it, and I'd turn the card around, and it now had the number they had just said written on the card. And using a secret method. Using a secret method I'm not, I'm not <laughs> going to reveal, but a very common magician's trick. Sure. And a common man's One trick. that might, may, right. people may already know. Yeah, as soon as I handed them the card and they saw the number they just named written on the card from before, they go, that's incredible. And I say, you got any change you can spare for my research? And I usually got a $5 bill or uh, get, get taken to lunch a lot in New York. Uh, university professors, psychology professors especially, would want to take me to lunch and pick my brain and, sure. you know, I could always show them a few more ESP things and I'd get a free lunch and sometimes five bucks, sometimes twenty. Huh. You, I actually found out I could make about forty-five dollars an hour just doing that one scam. And Aaron Fisher and Adam and Grace tried that same thing on the streets of Hollywood just a year or two ago and yeah. they found they were making about thirty-five, forty bucks an hour <clears throat> doing that same scam. Completely Unnecessary Skeptical Podcast does not endorse the scamming of people on the street, ESP tricks. Well, this is not a scam, though. You know, I, I, I said, I'm doing experiments in extrasensory perception. Would you give me $5 for my research? Yeah. It was just asking for money. I'm begging. <laughs> I'm really... I'm really you think of this, it is, this is a nice form of panhandling, really. Sure. I'm not conning them because I'm not involving them in, in any kind of deception. I'm not... I'm not trying to take advantage of saying I, I, I can do something. I don't claim. I'm, I say I'm doing experiments, and I'm not claiming that I have any powers. I'm just as interested to show you what it's about. So it's not really a scam, and I'm not trying to prove that ESP is real. Sure. Although some people, the believers, they're suckers that can't be knocked, really. Okay. Yeah, I see where you're coming from there. Um, well, that's been a fantastic interview. Thank you very much, it's been my Hayden. Check my out his website, pophayden.com. That's correct. And go and buy some stuff off him, because we like this guy. It's been a pleasure. Okay, and now it's time for our word of the day. I've got two words of the day. Iamatology, which is the study of remedies. Iamatology. I thought you were revealing something about yourself there. <laughs> and the other word is iatromathematics which is the archaic practice of medicine in conjunction with astrology, iatromathematics. Am I pronouncing that right? I've no idea. I was thinking of medicine and maths, but... Well, iatrophobia is fear of going to the doctor. So obviously iatro is, is to do with medicine. I thought it was maybe being treated by mathematicians <laughs> who thought they were doctors, which would be hilarious. And, Craig, you've got a quote for us. The quote is from the author Mark Twain. The easy confidence with which I know another man's religion is folly. 
teaches me to suspect that mine own is also. And you've been listening to the Completely Unnecessary Skeptical Podcast. If you'd like to send us a message or give us some feedback, check out our website, thecusp.org.nz. Mm-hmm.